0: Well, first of all, good morning to all of you, and I want you to do me a favor. I realize it's daylight savings time, and and I get that, so just turn to your neighbor and say, wake up. (laughs) Hey, thanks for joining us today. Uh, I want to say a welcome to our Mill Creek campus, to those who are watching online, those who are joining by TV, those who are here at our Sugarloaf campus. I couldn't believe it when I read this headline. This was the headline of the newspaper. I want the last check I write to bounce. Now, my first thought was, okay, here's somebody that doesn't have a clue on how to manage their money. They they spend every dime that they've got. They don't realize that there's more to life than spending and getting. And I thought, what a fool this person was. Well, then I decided to read the article, and, and I read about the man who said this, and boy, did I realize you can't judge a book by its cover, and I realized how wrong I was. Let me tell you who said that. His name is Charles F. Feeney. You probably never heard of him. He is, or at least he used to be a billionaire. He made his fortune in the duty-free shopping industry. And in 1984, he made a decision which he didn't tell anybody about, he kept it a secret. He formed a private foundation that was called Atlantic Philanthropies. And for 15 years, he ran it anonymously. Nobody knew who was behind it. Even though it was one of the largest sources of charitable giving in the United States, Ireland, South Africa, and Vietnam. Without telling anybody, secretly, he turned over this duty-free business to this foundation and he continued to invest while giving money away to direct medical care, education, criminal justice and peace building. Now, here's the amazing ending of this story. Atlantic Philanthropies will close its door sometime around 2020. And when they do, they would have given away over $8 billion, at which time it will be the largest organization in history to have voluntarily shut itself down. And that's why Charles Feeney said, my goal, is for the last check I write to bounce. And I read that and I thought, you're not a fool after all. You're one wise dude. As a matter of fact, he's not irresponsible after all. Here's what Mr. Feeney understands. He understands that personal prosperity is for the purpose of purposeful generosity. In other words, here's what Mr. Feeney finally got. I don't get so I can get. I don't get so I can have. I don't get so I can keep. I get so I can give. We've been in a series, I've enjoyed this so much, it's really taught me a lot, that we've been calling Mirror Image, and I wanna ask you to do this one more time. I put a mirror in front of you right now, and it's a magic mirror. It doesn't show you what you look like on the outside. As a matter of fact, this is a mirror that doesn't even care what you look like on the outside. This mirror shows what you look like on the inside. Here's my question. What would you look like on the inside? And is the facade that you put on on the outside anywhere close to what you really are on the inside? And do you like what's on the inside? Would other people be impressed with what's on the inside? Is God pleased with what's on the inside what would you see in your heart what kind of character do you have so we've been talking about the various kind of traits that make up what i believe is not just good character but godly character and quite honestly today we're going to probably deal with the one that's probably the hardest to, for us to practice but i think it pays the biggest dividends we've already talked about it and that's generosity now I want to just ask you a question, and I, before you even answer it, don't answer it till the message is over. But here's my question: Now, be honest. Would you consider yourself a generous person? Now, don't answer that too quickly. Would you say, yeah? You know, James, I, generosity. I, yeah, that's that's kind of that's kind of one of my traits. I, I think I would be uh, uh, call myself a generous person. I think that that people would think that I'm generous because I I wanna tell you, you know, in all of my years, I thought about this the other day, in all of my years, I have never met a selfish, greedy person of high character. I I never have. I I thought of someone, as a matter of fact, there's somebody I'm thinking about right now as I was going over this message. There's someone I know very, very well, and, and, and I can't tell you who it is, I can't reveal his identity, because it would be harmful. And and quite frankly, some people would figure out because they know me and know who I am and know who I know, they would figure out who it is. But I know someone, they, they hoard what they've got, they're selfish, they're greedy, and they've got tons of money. And I'll tell you something else about this person I know, and this is a real person. He's not only miserable, but he makes those around him miserable. I don't think this man could even spell generosity. And he portrays the same three traits I see in every selfish, greedy person I've ever met. Number one, he's very insecure. He worries all the time about his wealth and about his money and what's gonna happen to it after he's gone, worries about it all the time. He's insensitive uh, to, to, to the needs of others. He's insecure, he's insensitive. It never occurs to this guy ever how much of a blessing he could be with the way God has blessed him. That never crosses his mind. It's not even on his radar screen. And he's very inconsiderate of the feelings of others because greed and selfishness has turned his heart cold as ice. He doesn't trust anybody. He thinks if you're nice to him or if you do good things for him, or you try trying to build a relationship with him, you're just after his money. And so today we're gonna look at a story about a woman in the Bible that is so remarkable. As a matter of fact, every time I read this story, I go, I just can't even believe this made it into the gospels. I can't even believe that it's it's even in the Bible because it didn't involve a miracle. And the reason the story is so phenomenal is because of what Jesus said and what Jesus saw. And what Jesus said was so remarkable because what he saw was so refreshing. He saw the greatest example of generosity that's ever probably been performed in the history of this world, seriously. So if you brought a copy of God's word, I want you to turn to the second gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I want you to turn to Mark chapter 12. Now, as you, we begin to look at this story, I want you to do this now, this is important. You really ought to do this every time you hear me preach. I want you to put yourself in this story because we're all in this story, every one of us. I want you to put yourself in the story because what is true about the person we're about to read and what's true about Jesus is true about you and Jesus. It's true about what you have is true about what you think you have, and it's true about what you do with what you have. See, Jesus saw something that day nobody else saw. Even though everybody was seeing the same thing that Jesus saw, he saw something they didn't see. And here's, I've, I've learned something. When you begin to see things the way Jesus sees things, when you begin to see things the way Jesus sees things, you will see things that nobody else sees and you'll see them in a way nobody else sees them. You'll see people in a way you've never seen them before. You'll see things in people you've never seen in people before. You'll see world events in a way that other people don't see them. And you'll see things in world events that other people don't see. And again, it's just amazing to me, the story is even in the Bible. Because what this woman does and what this woman has talked about, she, she does something that to the ordinary eye is so small, it's so unimportant, it's so inconsequential that nobody that day would have given it a second thought except Jesus. As a matter of fact, when everybody walked out, only one person was talking about it, Jesus. Only one person was impressed by what happened, Jesus. Jesus only one person couldn't get over what happened jesus as a matter of fact the reason why we're talking about it today 2000 years later is because jesus is the only one that left talking about it so there are three things i want you to see that happens in this story because what's happening what happened then happens every single week right here in this building. And it happens to you in many places where you go and in many opportunities you have that you may or may not take advantage of, okay? Here's what happens in the story. Number one, Jesus anticipates when we give. He he anticipates when we give. Now, I got to thinking about my mom and dad. You know how I knew that my mom and dad got bored and didn't have anything else to do? I'm I'm not making this up. When they built a mall in Gainesville, Georgia, where I was born and raised, they finally built this mall. It's called well, It was called Lakeshore Mall. I guess it still is. They built this mall called Lakeshore Mall, right? And that was kind of the thing everybody got to do. We didn't know what a mall was. I didn't know what a mall was when I was growing up. They finally built a mall, so it was the, kind of the end thing to go to a mall. Well, I learned after a while, when mom and dad really got bored, here's what they'd do. They'd say, okay, we're all going to the mall. You know why mom and dad went to the mall? They didn't go to shop. They didn't even go window shopping. They went people watching. That's what they do. Mom and dad had a certain bench. It was right in the middle of the mall. And mom and dad would go, I mean, I hated going to the mall because this is what they would do. Mom and dad would go to the mall. They'd sit on this bench. They would sit there for an hour and they would never ever move. They just watch people. And you can, you know, it's kind of, people are really amazing. But, I mean, I could just always do, well, mom and dad's bored. They're bored out of their mind because we're going to go to the mall. We're going to watch people. That's why I think the story we're reading about, I'm absolutely convinced Jesus must have have been just bored out of his mind. I mean, there just must not have been anybody sick that needed to be healed, nobody hungry that needed to be fed. He he must not have had anything else to do because, listen, it's a slow day when you say, hey, let's go down to the temple and watch people give an offering. I mean, that's, that's a pretty slow day. You gotta be pretty bored to say, hey, let's go to the church and let's watch what people put into the place. Let's watch what strangers drop in the coffer. That's exactly what happens. Listen, Jesus sat down opposite the place where their offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. Let me tell you what's going on. Whenever you walked into a temple, it wasn't like what we do today. They didn't pass a bucket or pass a plate or anything like that. When you walked into a temple, there, there was a certain section down front where the offerings were received, and Jesus purposely goes down to the front, gets a front row seat where he can watch what these people are giving. This is one time he said, guys, we're not gonna be back row Baptists today, okay? We're gonna be front row folks. I want a front row seat. I wanna watch what people are giving. Now, what is so unique is, whenever Jesus was teaching or whenever Jesus was performing a miracle, everybody wanted a front row seat. Everybody wanted to get as close to Jesus as they possibly could. This is the only time in the life of Jesus where we told he wanted a front row seat. Now, once again, I understand. If it's a football game, I'd get it. If it was a concert, I'd understand. If it was a great play, I'd say, yeah, you want the best seat in the house. I mean, this is an offering, folks. They're just giving money. And Jesus says, I want a front row seat. I want to watch and see what everybody is giving. Now, let's be honest. Today, that'd be considered rude. I mean, can I be honest? So we passed this, the buckets a while ago, the baskets. So now, how would you like it if we did it? I said, take your time and do not pass it till I watch what you put in that bucket. You wouldn't be back next week. You say, how rude, how nosy. What a busybody you are. I I can't believe you would do that. Okay, well, I got a newsflash for you. You ready? Buck your seatbelt. Jesus is watching your offering. Jesus is watching. He's anticipating what you give. He still watches what we give. He still watches what we don't. Now, by the way, Jesus was not the only one that was watching. A lot of people were watching because the treasure was a public place. It was kind of like, this was kind of like a place where you deposit your money. The, 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 the temple was kind of the God's spiritual bank. And this is where people would go and they would give to God's work. And, and it really was kind of fascinating because they, they did it, they kind of made it exciting. See back in the day when you there would be this section down in front of the temple and there were the there was 13 brass treasure chests they were called trumpets and they were kind of shaped like inverted horns so you have the narrow part at the top and you have the broad part down at the bottom so rich people would come, they'd have a bag full of coins and they'd throw these coins in such a way they'd go round and round and round and they'd, they'd make this loud ringing sound because everybody then could see, boy, he gave a lot of money. And everybody could hear, man, she gave a lot of money. And they wanted everybody to know that they got gave a lot of money. And that's, what they, that's, why we, that's where we get the phrase, tooting your own horn or blowing your own horn. We get it from that temple giving because the people, the rich people wanted everybody to know and everybody to listen, everybody to see and everybody to hear. Look how much money I'm giving. That's why we're told in verse 41 that the rich people threw in large amounts. They, they didn't know, people, you didn't have to guess how much people were giving. You didn't have to wonder how much people were giving. You could see it and you could hear it. It was called sounding the trumpet. And Jesus is watching, and Yogi Berra was right. You can observe a lot just by watching, and so Jesus is watching these people, very observant. He's anticipating what people were giving. He knew exactly what everybody was putting in, and he was well aware that there were rich people that were coming in, and they were putting in a large sum of money. Now, let me stop right here and make sure you understand something. Jesus was not condemning the rich people for giving a lot of money. There, there's nothing wrong with, with what they were doing except making a show of it, but, but, but in and of itself, God loves a cheerful giver whether you're a rich giver or a poor giver, it doesn't matter. If you're giving with the right motive for the right reason, God loves a cheerful giver. Jesus is not really even questioning the motive of why these people are giving, and I can tell you today, I know I've had them, there are rich people who have good hearts And they mean well. And and, and they want to do God's work. And some of the greatest charitable work being done anywhere in the world today is done by rich people. So Jesus is not condemning the rich people because they're giving a lot. The point that Mark is making here is that Jesus anticipates what we give. He marks down what we give. He marks down when we don't give. But that's not the real point of the story. We haven't got there yet. Jesus anticipates when we give. But Jesus also calculates what we give. He he knows it when we give and when we don't, he's watching, but he doesn't just anticipate when we give, he calculates what we give. Now, here's what I want you to understand. This story would have never made it into the Gospels. This story would never made it into the Bible. I would not be talking about this story if it had stopped at verse one. If we stop with this verse right here, there's nothing unusual about that. People have been going to churches and temples and synagogues and giving offerings for thousands and thousands of years. There was nothing real big. There was nothing, you know, nothing unusual about that. It's what happens next that caught Jesus's attention. It's what happens next that made Jesus's eyes dilate. It's what happens next that put a smile on Jesus' face. It's what happens next that made Jesus say to his disciples, did you see what I just saw? It's what happens next that made his head turn to attention. Watch this. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Now you talk about an unlikely hero of a story. See, back in the day, ladies, this lady would have been known as a three-time loser. Say, so, well, what do you mean? Well, number one, she is uh, poor. Okay, that's Mark one. Number two, she is a widow. Say, so, well, how did they know they were a widow? Because back in the day, if you were a widow, you had to dress like a widow. There was a, there was a distinct way that widows would dress to let people know that they were not married or that they'd lost a husband. And then third, mark against her ladies, she was a woman. And I hate to tell you, but back in the day, women were considered second-class citizens compared to men. So here is a woman who's poor, she is a widow, she is a woman, she's the least likely person you'd ever make a hero of any story, and yet she's on the front page of the newspaper of Jesus. Jesus is watching so closely, that he sees something that nobody else saw. John didn't see it, Peter didn't see it, James didn't see it, Nathaniel didn't see it, even the tax collector Matthew, the money guy, he didn't see it. Nobody saw it except Jesus. And with his supernatural, spiritual vision, he sees her put in two small copper coins. They're called mites. Here's the picture of a mite. This is a penny, all right? This is a mite. You can find these over in Israel. When we go to Israel, you can find these. You can buy them cheap because they're still cheap. So here's the penny. Here's the penny. She just put in these two little mites. That's what a mite would look like. Now, as you can tell, mites don't have a lot of mite. There's just not a whole lot to a mite. I mean, those coins were the least valuable and smallest pieces of money in circulation in the days of Jesus. Let me just tell you how little she put in. The average daily wage of a common laborer 2,000 years ago, if you just made, you know, minimum wage, average laborer, you made 15 cents a day. That's that's what the average laborer made, about 15 cents a day. Those two coins put together were the equivalent of about one one one-hundredth of that amount. As a matter of fact, it was less than one-tenth, of one cent. So what that lady gave in today's dollars was about one-tenth of a penny. Nobody, I mean nobody gave her offering a second thought. But Jesus gave it a second look. And he's so impressed by what this woman has done. He is so blown away by what this woman has done. He calls his disciples over. He says, guys, did you see what this lady did? And he makes a statement that I promise you made the disciples wonder, you must not have done real well in math. You, you must have not made good grades in arithmetic. Because listen to what Jesus says. Calling his disciples, he said, hey, guys, come here. You've got to see this. Jesus said, truly I tell you. Now, watch this. This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. Now, listen to what Jesus said. He didn't just say, well, she's put in more than that lady or she's put in a little more than that guy. He said, take all the offering that everybody's put in today and this lady has given more than all of them. Now, I don't mean disrespectful. I I really never disrespect Jesus. But I majored in accounting. And if I had been there, I, I, I would probably have said, Lord, I don't, how did you do in math? Who is your math teacher? Maybe you went to a bad school. Because I know the bottom line is the bottom line. And I'm sorry. There just isn't any way that one-tenth of a penny could be more than all the rich people have put in, put together. But Jesus was saying, oh, no, no, no. Let me teach you a lesson about generosity. The most generous givers do not necessarily always give the largest gifts. The most generous givers don't always give necessarily the largest or the biggest gifts. See, here's what I want you to hear. This is going to rock everybody's world. It rocks mine every time I think about it. We measure generosity by how much we give. That's not the way Jesus measures generosity. It's not by what you give. There's a difference between, listen, there's a difference between giving the greatest amount and being the most generous giver. A million dollars may be a dream gift, but a 10th of a penny may make you a dream giver. Now, you talk about generosity. See, this is where a lot of you are about to wake up to something. Are you listening? Everybody, raise your hand if you're listening. Now, if somebody didn't raise their hand, slap them right now. All right, look up here. If you don't hear anything else I'll tell you, I want you to know what I'm about to tell you. You don't have to be rich to be generous. Now, if you heard that, nod your head. You don't have to be rich to be generous. You don't get a pass if you're not rich. You don't get a pass just because you don't have nearly as much money as the person sitting next to you. You may make minimum wage waiting tables at a restaurant sitting next to a person right now who drove a Mercedes into the parking lot. That doesn't mean you can't be just as generous, if not more generous, than that person. Because here's what this poor widow teaches us, you ready? Number one, you don't have to be rich to be generous. Number two, you don't have to have a lot to give. And number three, you don't have to have a lot to have a lot to give a lot. You don't have to have a lot to give a lot. Because here's the thing that just blew everybody away. Jesus does not measure what people give the way we measure what people give. We look at the portion, look how much that guy gave. Jesus looks at the proportion of what people give. Here's the difference. We look at what people put on the table. God looks at what you've got left in your wallet. That's the way God measures it. That's the way Jesus measures it. That's the way he looks at generosity. He looks at it in a totally, totally, totally different way. We look at what people put in. Jesus looks at what is left over. And I'll tell you something, there's gonna be a lot of, you know one of the reasons why I'm looking forward to heaven, There are gonna be a lot of surprises when we get to heaven, you ever thought about that? I heard Adrian Rogers say one time, It'll take another world to tell us who the really great preachers are. Let me tell you, some of the greatest preachers on this planet, we've never heard of. They'll never be the president of some Baptist convention. They'll never be on television. They'll never write a book. Nobody will ever ask them to sign their Bible, but they are unbelievably great preachers of the word of God. We just don't know who they are, but God does. And one of these days we're gonna get to heaven and we're gonna realize that some of the most generous people who ever lived were some of the poorest people we ever knew. Because Jesus is not impressed with the greatness of what we give, but the generosity of what we give. I mean, go back to that day in the temple. Everybody applauded. Everybody stood up. Everybody cheered what the rich people gave. Only one person applauded what the poor widow gave, but it was the applause of the only one that mattered. See, Jesus anticipates what we give. He knows it. He knows it when we give, he knows it when we don't. Jesus calculates what we give, not by how much we put on the table, but how much we leave in our pocket. Not by how much the gift was worth, but how much the gift really cost. See, and I'm, not, I'm just using an example, I'm not knocking him. Bill Gates could come in here and give a, our church $10 million. Never miss the money. But Jesus would say, but Bill, you're worth $50 billion. It's not what you put on the table. It's what's left in the pocket. Bill, that, 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 that million dollars is worth a million, but it really didn't cost you a million. And see, by, this, by Jesus's grading system, She got an A plus for generosity. So Jesus anticipates when we give. Jesus calculates what we give. Now watch this. Jesus evaluates why we give. He evaluates why we give. See, here's the amazing thing. This poor little widow becomes the hero of this story. She didn't know she was writing. And Jesus sums up why he was so enamored, so impressed, so blown away with this woman who gave such a small, big gift. Here's what blew him away. Watch this. He said, let me tell you why my math is correct. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything all she had to live on. Now, once again, Jesus reminds us, we're reminded just how poor this woman was because if you go back and read this story, she's called poor and then Jesus refers to her poverty and those are two completely different Greek words. The first word that translated as poor describes someone that's totally destitute, someone that's a beggar. Today, we talk about someone who's homeless, who has absolutely, you know, very little source of income. Today, she probably would have been on public assistance, government assistance. And the second word for poverty means basically having nothing. She didn't have anything. She didn't, all she had was the clothes on her back. But when you really read this carefully, what Jesus said was, guys, you know what you're missing? Here's why you don't get what happened today. All these other people you watch put all that money in the treasury. That's all they gave was their money. But this woman gave a lot more than her money. You say, what do you mean? Listen to what Jesus said again. She put in everything. Now watch this. All she had to live on. Now, this is why it's good to know a little bit of the Greek language. The word that Jesus uses there for all she had to live on, that little phrase live on, is the Greek word bios. We studied something in school, what did we study? Biology, we get the word biology, bios. You know what word bios means? It means life. Bio, life, logos, word, biology is a word about life. That's what we study in biology. She gave all her life. In other words, what Jesus said was, this woman just didn't give money. It wasn't just the mites that she gave. That's not what blew me away. She gave all of her life. Guys, here's what you don't understand. She wasn't just giving her money. She was giving herself. She wasn't just giving all that she had. Anybody could do that. She gave all that she was. And see, the reason why this woman could give all of her money to God was because she'd already given all of her life to God. See, we read this story, and we go, wow. That must've been tough for that lady. I mean, the lady's gotta eat, lady's gotta live. She only has two bites. She could have at least kept one for herself. I can't believe it. That must've been really hard for that lady to give everything she had. No. That was the easy part, because she'd already done the hard part. She'd given all she was to Jesus. She'd given everything she was to God. She had given her very life to God. It wasn't that hard, because here's what you're going to learn. And this is where I'm going to say something that you're not going to like. Some of you are not going to like, and it may, may make you, and it may, it may be, make you angry. And I'll go ahead and tell you: save your emails. The reason why so many of us find it so hard to give money to God's work, it's not a money problem. It's because we've really not given God our heart. When you give God your heart, can I be honest? When you really give God your heart, here's here's one way you'll know it. Hey, pastor, how can I really know when God's got my heart? I'll tell you exactly how you'll know it. You will become a cheerful giver. You'll become a joyful giver. You'll say, Lord, how can I not give you a port of part of what you've given to me when I've already given you all of my heart? And what really impressed Jesus was not what she gave, but why she gave it. It wasn't the amount the lady gave. No, that not, not wasn't impressive. Who, who, Jesus is not stupid. What's impressive about two cents? Nothing in and of itself. What impressed Jesus was not the amount, it was the attitude. Because keep in mind, she's not going to get a tax deduction. This is not a write-off. She didn't give out of show. Not only did she not know anybody was looking, she probably would have been embarrassed to know that somebody was looking. And she surely didn't give flippantly. You know she had to carefully think all this through. And she didn't say it out loud. But you know what she was doing when she gave that money? She was only talking to one person, the God that made her. And what she was saying was when she gave that money was, Lord, I'm giving all I am to you. Actions speak louder than words. And brother, did her actions ever speak loudly and ever speak clearly? Because when that woman took those two little mites, less than one-tenth of one penny, and she put that in the offering, she was saying three things. God I look to you to provide my needs. God, I love you more than I love money. And God, I live for you and you alone. So I wanna ask you a question. You may think you're kinda off the hook. You may think, well, man, I'm, I'm not one of the 50% of the people that attend church that don't give any money because in the average church, 50% of the people who attend a church never give one cent to that church, never. So if we're typical, half of you never give to this church. I'm not making you feel guilty. I'm just calling it what it is. But just let's say you're one of the 50% You you. Well, <laughs> I give, shame on you if you don't, but I give. Well, wait a minute. Why do you give? See, the IRS doesn't care why you give. They just want their money. The mortgage company, they don't care why you give. They just want your money. The credit card company, they don't care why you give. They just want your money. God cares why you give. You know why? Well, number one, because he didn't want your money. You say, really? No, because it's his money. Number two, he wants your heart. He wants your money. He wants your heart. So let's put something in perspective. We're talking today about a poor widow. We don't, we don't know her name. We don't know where she came from. We don't know where she lived. We don't know how she died. She's never mentioned again in Scripture. 2,000 years later, we still remember her and still talk about her because of one thing her generosity. You know what that tells me? Two things. So let's really get down to the nitty gritty of where we all are right now. I don't know how you're going to be remembered or if you're going to be remembered. I don't know how I'm going to be remembered or if I'm going to be remembered, but I will tell you this. You're not going to be remembered by how much you made, you're not going to be remembered by how much you spent you're not even going to be remembered by how much you saved. You will only be remembered for how much you gave. I'll tell you something else. You won't be rewarded by God for how much you made. You won't be rewarded by God for how much you spent. You won't even be rewarded by God for how much you saved. You'll only be rewarded for God by how much you gave. That's it. See, this woman never knew, never knew as far as we know. She never knew what Jesus said about what she gave. She died without ever knowing Jesus was even in the room. But I would guarantee you, I guarantee you this is true. The second that lady walked into heaven, Jesus said, I saw what you did. I know what you did. I remember you. You're that little woman. What? You, you, oh yeah, I saw. You're the most generous person I met when I was on earth. See, I wanna with you the greatest, greatest reason of all why all of us ought to be generous. Let me tell you why we ought to be generous, whether you give a little or give a lot. Let me tell you why we all ought to be so generous because we serve a generous God. God is so generous. I mean, you talk about generosity. So even though we don't deserve it, God sends his son to die for you and me. And even though we don't deserve it, Jesus dies for you and me. And even though we don't deserve it, Jesus pays our debt, our sin debt off. We owe a debt we couldn't pay. He paid the debt he didn't know. He pays it off for us. And then to top it all off, God says, I want to give you eternal life absolutely free. If for no other reason, we ought to be generous because we serve such a generous God. So let's kind of wrap this up. We all have the same opportunity, right? We're all in the same boat. You have one life to live. Now, let me just tell you this there's no in between. There's no in between. What I'm about to tell you there's no in between, there's no halfway. You're either going to live your life as a generous person or a greedy person. There's no in-between. No, you're not going to be half greedy, half generous. It doesn't work that way. You're either going to be all in or all out. You're going to live your life as a generous person or as a greedy person. You're either going to live your life selflessly. You're going to hold everything God gives you with an open hand. Or you're going to hold everything God's given you with a clenched fist selfishly. Everybody, every one of you right now, every one of us, me included, you either hold what you have right now like this, or you hold what you have like that. So, on Sunday night, April the 7th, we're gonna have a seminar at our Sugarloaf campus here. It's on how to steward your money God's way. It's actually open to both campuses. It's gonna be from five o'clock to 715. Every, all of our campuses can attend. And here's the purpose of this workshop, okay? It's to help you get your financial house in order. And let's just get out the dirty little secret. Many of you do not have your financial house in order. We want to help you do that. We want to help you learn how to manage what God has given you and give you some long-term planning on how you can make your money work, not just for you, but work for God. And I think there's a blue insert you've got in your worship guide, okay? And you can sign up online. Just go to our website and you can sign up online. So all that said, let's do this. Everybody shut their Bibles Put your notes up, put your pens down. Don't think about what you're eating for lunch. Just two more minutes, don't you look up here. Give me your undivided attention. Tell you a story. It says it all. I could have told this story and I think it would have made the point. On September the 3rd, 1939, German troops invaded Belsko, Poland. There was a 15-year-old girl, Gerda Wiseman and her family, and they survived in the Jewish ghetto until June 1942. That's when Goethe was taken from her mother who was sent to a death camp while Greta would spend three years in a Nazi concentration camp. She was one of the few survivors. By the time American troops liberated her from that camp, 21 years old, she weighed 65 pounds. Kind of a sweet part of the story. She went on to marry the soldier that found her and rescued her. But that's not the best part of the story. If you go to the Holocaust Memorial in Boston, Massachusetts, there are six towers. They represent the six extermination camps where six million Jews were killed. Five towers tell the story of the unbelievable cruelty and and, and, and horrible torture that these people endured. But the sixth tower doesn't do that. The sixth tower is a testimony to generosity. And inscribed on it, there's this short story entitled, One Raspberry. It was written by this girl named Gerda, okay? This is her story. Ilsa, a childhood friend of mine, once found a raspberry in the camp and carried it in her pocket all day to present to me that night on a leaf. Imagine a world in which your entire possession is one raspberry and you give it to your friend. See, the real measure of your heart is bound up in whether your heart is a heart that wants to get or a heart that wants to give. And the real measure of the value of a gift is not how much it's worth on the table, but how much is left in your pocket. And that's true whether it's two million dollars, two copper point coins, or one raspberry. And when Jesus Christ came to this planet, He gave everything he had, including his very life. He left nothing on the table. He left nothing in the tank. He gave his all for us. How can we not give our all to him? Let's pray together.